Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The solution to our marriages, ladies and gentlemen, the solution is not out there. It's not in another relationship. It's not in another person. It's not in another one. It's in realizing who you are and who you have and how you can make that relationship better. Marriage, it is the most anticipated relationship that exists between two people. Men and women enter into marriage with high hopes. They've met and married the person of his or her dreams. They repeat their vows, cut the cake, and ride off into their new life together as husband and wife with great expectations of a rich, rewarding life together. Then along comes a little something called reality. Spiritual attacks will come into your life and into your home and into your marriage. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is leading us through a marriage series entitled, Until Death Do Us Part. It is a six-week study looking at some of the various aspects of marriage. The last two weeks, we've looked at the reason for marriage. Today, we come to the reality of marriage. Husbands, fathers, are you listening to me? It begins with us. It begins with the responsibility that we have. And I'm just telling you, your home is as spiritually strong as you have made it. Couples with every intention of having a great marriage and staying together forever can find that the reality of life and the pressures and the problems it can bring can take its toll on a marriage. Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to show us some of the realities of marriage and what couples can do to not only survive, but thrive in their marriage. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Does anybody know what I mean when I say the reality? And can anybody identify with the reality of marriage? <laughs> Sorry. Some guys are like, yeah, right, right. We keep saying this reality of marriage. It, it, stuff happens in life and marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you today, open it to Genesis chapter 3, uh, where we're going to see some, uh, some of the reality of marriage. Text is going to be up on the screen as well. And uh, we're going we're gonna to work through this this morning and uh, hopefully uh, get through all of this discussion on the reality of marriage. The last two weeks, we're talking about the reasons for marriage. This week, we're talking about the reality of marriage. I have uh, some ideas that I want to share with you about the reality of marriage. I'm going to jump right into it, and then we're going to read the text as we go uh, this morning, and we're going to start uh, with this idea first. This is part of the reality of marriage. The reality uh, of marriage is this. The reality is spiritual attacks will come. (laughs) The reality is in marriage, spiritual attacks will come. Now, obviously, of course, Uh, You don't have to be married for there to be spiritual attacks. But I'm talking about within the context of marriage, there are attacks that come against you, against you, against your spouse, against your marriage. Now, let's read Genesis chapter 3, beginning uh, beginning of the chapter, beginning in verse 1. Y'all with me? You alert? Anxious? (laughs) That was kind of a trick question, wasn't it? Because you're not supposed to be anxious for anything. But you're anxious to hear the Word of God. (laughs) So there's different ways to use that. All right, never mind. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field with which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Can you just hear the tone in which this is spoken? I I could just... 
The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. By the way, we have no record of God saying you couldn't touch it. Um, If he did say that, the text doesn't record it uh, or else Eve just added that. It's hard to believe a woman would add. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm bad. So bad. Shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, now watch this. You surely will not die. You're not going to die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, watch this. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, uh, last, I think it was last week or, or week before last, as we were talking about the reasons for, for marriage, uh, I happened to make a statement. I said that one of the, the, the greatest or one of the best things you will ever do for your marriage is to grow up spiritually. You guys remember me saying that? One of the best things you'll ever do for your marriage is to grow up spiritually. This right here is one of the reasons why. It is because spiritual attacks will come into your life and into your home and into your marriage. And watch this. Look at how it, look at how it comes. It looks like this. We have a spiritual enemy with a physical agenda. Now, uh, he, has a, he has a spiritual agenda too, and that is to, to, to disrupt or to cause problems between me and my Heavenly Father. This relationship uh, that I have with him uh, to cause disunity, to cause me to get out of fellowship, to cause me to move into... Whatever the faith, there's a spiritual agenda, but within the context, what I'm referring to, within the context of marriage, this spiritual entity, enemy, that we call Lucifer or Satan or the devil or whatever, however scripture might refer to him or however you might, might think of him, that he has a physical agenda. And that physical agenda, listen to me, that physical agenda is to destroy your marriage. Absolutely. To destroy your marriage. So what does that look like? How does he, how does he tend to do that? Looks like this. It, it was a spiritual attack with a physical consequence. That's how you'll, this is what happens here in Genesis 3. And that's what you'll see will tend to happen in your life when the enemy begins to attack. It's a spiritual attack with a physical consequence. Now, how does he do it? What does that look like? What, is this, what does this attack come from? What's, what's what we, you're going to fill in another blank. It, it begins, it often will begin with an attack on the word of God. You see that in the text. How does he do, what does that mean? To deny the word's accuracy. Did, did you read it there in that latter part of, of verse 1 and the latter part of verse 4 where it says, Satan says, Indeed, really, has God said that uh, you, you can't eat from that, the, the trees in the garden? A little bit of distortion there. And then the end of verse 4, you're not going to die. It is to deny the accuracy of God's word. God said, if you do this, this will be a consequence. Can I tell you, I see that all the time today in people's lives. I see it in the, in the culture, in the world in which we live to, to deny the accuracy of the word of God. Well, you know, people believed the Bible, you know, back then because they didn't know better. We, we didn't have science. Uh, uh, maybe they were superstitious, but we're, we're much more of an enlightened age now, much more of a, uh, an educated culture. And, and, and we know that, that we know a virgin can't conceive. We know a, a dead man can't come back to life. Well, we know that, that there can't be just one way to access with God. 
it is to deny the accuracy of the word of God. And I, and I see it all the time. Now, never mind, never mind that the Bible, that, that hard copy or electronic copy that you hold in your hand, never mind that it is the most verifiable, accurate document in all of ancient antiquity. Never mind that the Bible speaks of cities and civilizations and people groups with absolute 100% accuracy. Never mind that it touches on areas such as science or, or history and does so re- remarkably perfectly. Speaking on subjects oftentimes long before the science of the day caught up with the understanding of that, whatever it happened to be speaking on. But it is to deny the accuracy of the word of God. Here's another part of it that you'll see sometimes as well. It'll be to discount the words necessity. Well, yeah, you know, Bible's got some good stuff in it, but, you know, that's really not necessary for us anymore. We, we know, for instance, this is a hot-button subject. We know that we can, we can really define marriage any way we want to because this is a different age in which we live. And, you know, it, it's just not necessary to, to follow all that stuff again. I'm just telling you, it, it's, it's an attack on, on the Word of God. That, that's how it comes. Watch what happens next as we look at it in the text. Here's the next part. There's an attack on the very character of God. Did y'all notice that as we read through the text? Did you see that? Basically, in a nutshell, Satan says to Eve, God doesn't care about you. God's not trying to protect you. God's trying to protect his own interests. God's afraid of losing godness with you. Because if you eat this fruit and you become like God, guess what that makes you? Your own God. And so he doesn't, he, he's not needed anymore once, you're, once you have all this information, once you become like God. So God's just looking out for himself. God's selfish. God doesn't care about you. God's, it's, an, it's an attack on the very character of God. Listen, I don't have a lot of time to go in this day, but let, let me just say this. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand everything that God does or the purposes behind what he does or why he does what he does or why sometimes it seems that he's not doing what I, what I think that, that, he, that he ought to do. There's lots of stuff I don't understand about God. But listen to me, this I know. God is good. And, and, and he's not good. He's not good like, you know, we'd say, well, that's a good man. That's a good woman. No, no, he's good in his perfection. That, that every bit of who God is, is good. So every motive that God has, every action that God takes is good. So while I may not understand why, God, why is this happening? Or God, what are you doing? Or God, why don't you intervene? Or God, what is it? While I may not understand everything that happens, what I can stand on is the reality that God is good no matter what. And so if I don't understand it, okay, I, I may not want to be okay with that. I may not want to rest in that, but that's where I have to be based on who I know God to be. You'll see an attack on the very character of God. And quite honestly, listen, this obviously applies, this idea of spiritual attacks, it applies to everybody, right? But guys, husbands, fathers, are you listening to me? It begins with us. It begins with the responsibility that we have. And I'm just telling you, your home is as spiritually strong as you have made it. And we spend Billions of dollars on security systems and, and self-defense training and Smith and & Wessons and whatever else. But how much do we spend on the defense, the spiritual defense of our homes and on our lives? All right, listen, let me real, real quickly, uh, let me just give you 
three kind of ideas that you can grab a hold of about what you can do to, to be ready for spiritual attacks and to kind of build spiritual defenses. First, suit up. Suit up. Um, let me just read it to you. You can turn over there if you want, but I'm going to flip over Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I'm going to cover this text uh, a lot more in depth when we, when we finish the marriage series and move on into a, a family series uh, that we're going to do. And we'll be looking at this text, but let me just read to you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, finally, he's, he's drawing to the close of that chapter, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's who you're relying on, not yourself. Then watch this, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the, what's that word? The schemes of who? The devil. Oh, Paul, that's that's hocus pocus. That's okay. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up, there he says it again, the full armor of God, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It is that idea of suiting up. You know, just as you go out the door in the day, every day you get ready to go to work or go to run the kids to school, whatever it is you go to do, most of the time, most of you put clothes on, right? Somebody said, I certainly hope so. Right? Yeah. You, so, so, listen, you, you, you have to begin to think that way spiritually. You have to begin to think, I got to suit up. I got to suit up. I got to put this on. And I would really encourage you. I, I really would say this. I would encourage you to every day make this a habit of your life, to just mentally walk through that checklist and say, all right, I, 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 right now I'm, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, God, protect my heart today from, uh, from what might come from the enemy, the tax. God, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm so grateful that I have salvation in you. Would you protect my mind? From, you just walk through that in your mind because every one of those pieces of armor that Paul describes has a specific intentional purpose to battle our own fleshly desires and the world that Satan uses to bring against us, okay? Suit up. Second, fill up. Verse 17 says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is, say it, the word of God. Yeah. I, I, tell, I told uh, some of the cross-culture kids workers this, this morning that when I, when I counsel, when I meet with people, I'm sure I sound like a broken record because I say this over and over and over, over again. After 30 years of walking with Jesus, this is the only thing that I know that works. It's the only thing I know that builds up uh, uh, power in my life and that helps me endure. It is to fill up on the Word of God, to ingest it, to take it in. Not, you know, not, I'm talking about to, to fill up on the Word of God. You, you just have to do it. You just have to do it. Oh, but you don't understand. I have to be to, I have to, be to work at 6 o'clock so I could get up at 5. I, I'm, I'm truly sorry to hear that because <laughs> I, I'm not a morning person, so I, I'm truly sorry to hear that. But get up at 4. Do what you have to do if these attacks are coming. And I, and I think Paul's pretty clear. Genesis is pretty clear. These attacks are coming. So you suit up, you fill up, and then the third one I would say kneel down. Uh, again, that Ephesians text, verse 18, says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times 
in the Spirit, capital S, and I know you're being led by God's Spirit, you're in, engaged in this, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for yourself, pray for your spouse, pray for your marriage, pray for God to be glorified through your marriage and through your life, pray for God's protection upon your family and, and upon your home, pray for God uh, to accomplish his purposes, pray. And listen, listen, listen. I'm not talking about the 20 minutes prayer time on your drive to work, okay? I know all about those 20-minute drive time to work. Well, I, I get my prayer in then. I'm just telling you right now, you, you're going you're gonna to be about that much effectiveness out of, your, out of your relationship with God, if that's your idea of, of prayer. Imagine, if you happen to be here and you are married, imagine uh, if, if the only conversations that you had with your spouse were uh, 20 minutes on your way to work in the morning. That's the only time you didn't talk to her any other time, or him any other time. Be a pretty shallow relationship, wouldn't it? You, you got to go deeper. You, you got to dig in the Word of God. You got to kneel down. You got to spend time in the Word of God in preparation for the spiritual attacks that will come. Okay, okay, okay. Let's get to the second one. Here we go. The reality is there can always be something else that looks better. Back in Genesis chapter three, look at verse six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, let's set the scene. She's married to the perfect guy, at least at that point, right? He's perfect. And he's married to the perfect girl. They don't owe any bills. They have no pressure. They live in a perfect home that doesn't need upgrading. Or remodeling. They don't have in-law issues. He doesn't stay up too late watching television. She doesn't spend too much on clothes. It's perfect. It's perfect. There are no, there are no deadlines to meet. No schedules to keep. No problems. No headaches. No issues. Nothing. It's perfect. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. As Eve begins to... To, to think about, to look at this idea of this fruit, this, this thing that she doesn't have in her life. And listen, it, 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 sure, part of it's the fruit, but it's not just fruit. It's the idea that Satan sold her that, that she could be like God. That she might have it good now, but she could have it better. There it is right there. That's the lie I've heard a thousand times in counseling sessions. That there's, that there's something out that it could be better than what it currently is. Listen, a few years ago, I, was, uh, I got a call from a guy. I, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. He had gotten my name from another couple that I'd done some counseling for. And uh, he calls me and he says, uh, my wife and I need to meet with you. Like now. And he told me. He, told me, he said, uh, I, I, I had an affair on my wife and she just found out. We need to meet with you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, clear the calendar. Come on. Yeah, come on in. They come in. Now, <laughs> it, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny at the moment. But if you could have seen the look on this woman's face when she comes in the door, what he hadn't told me was that she had literally just found out. You know how she found out? He called her from his hotel room with the woman he was having the affair with to tell her he was going to be a little late. And he thought he hung his phone up. Yeah. And she, she, when I could finally get her to talk... 
She said, I can't tell you, I can't explain it, but something told me do not hang up the phone. And she heard it. She heard every bit of it. It's long and it's complicated, but, but it started, he, he, he admitted to me that it started with this idea that, that, that he was getting this business started and, and he was busy with that and he, he was working a lot and, he, and him and his wife, that, that relationship just, you know, it was just kind of on the back burner and just things ha- had begun to happen and, and, he, and he, listen, he ran into an old high school friend. Do, listen, do y'all, are, are we so naive as to think that Satan is not working? And all of a sudden, because maybe it wasn't ideal at home and because of the pressure and because of all of this, all of a sudden this started looking better. That's a reality of marriage, that there can always be something that looks a little better. Uh, some of you heard me say this before. I, I love, I'll never forget this line. A guy in a, a marriage class and I were teaching a few years ago, uh, we were discussing this whole idea of, of you know, being content and satisfied in, in your relationship and that sort of thing. And, and this guy said, he said, yeah, he said, everybody thinks that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence until they get over there and realize that it's just growing on top of a septic tank. There's a lot of truth in that. Because guess what happens if you do decide to get over there? You understand what I'm saying? There's no perfect marriage. There's no marriage without problems. But listen, the, the, the solution to our marriages, ladies and gentlemen, the solution is not out there. It's not in another relationship. It's not in another person. It's not in another one. It, it, it's, it's, in, it's in realizing who you are and who you have and how you can make that relationship better. You understand what I'm saying? So let's say, for instance, you, there, there, there's a couple that, um, let's say that their, their, their physical intimacy, their sex life is, is maybe not what, what it once was or what, what want, you know, they might want it to be or, or whatever. Their sex life is on life support. The solution to their problem is not for he or she to go looking for satisfaction in, say, pornography, which, according to statistics, is at an epidemic rate in this nation. Or, or a husband is not, is not being attentive enough to his wife. He, he's distant. He's distracted. He, he's whatever. And she's lonely. There are women in this room that can identify with that. She's lonely. I'm telling you, you're just taking yourself and your marriage down a, a, a road you don't want to go down when, when you think that the solution is somewhere, somewhere else, with someone else. It'll always be something that'll look better, okay? It, it's, okay, let's get to the third one, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll cover some stuff on that. The reality is oneness can be lost. Let me read uh, verses 7 through 13 and then 16 through 19. Uh, then, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten? From the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. And the man said, the woman, uh, the woman uh, you, you gave to be with me. Uh, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now skip over down to verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. How does something... So good turns so bad so quickly. How does something that is so right get so wrong so quickly? I suspect there are many a couple have asked that same question. The consequence, listen to me, the consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, which is really what it was, rejection of God's authority, uh, rebellion of God, the consequence, we read it right there in the, in the text, shame Blame and pain. Three things that Adam and Eve had never experienced before. And this couple, this couple that had once been so close, chapter 2 closed out with this idea where Adam's saying, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is awesome. She's, she's like me, but not. This is, this is my very partner in life. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now... Here, just a little ways into chapter 3, Adam's throwing Eve under the bus faster than you can say bus. And God, you caught that too, right? That woman you gave me, she, she gave it to me. She, she made me eat it, right? And, of course, Eve's blaming the devil. This is the original, the devil made me do it, excuse. But this, this couple, here is this couple that once, I have no doubt, were so close that, that, that they felt this intense uh, oneness and newness. Unity in, in their relationship. Now, I suspect they don't even want to be in the same room with each other. Oneness can be lost. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There was a couple of few years ago. Uh, from all, from all signs, from ask anybody that, that knew them, was around them. Uh, they'd been married for 25 years and had a rock-solid, wonderful marriage. Active in the church. He came home from work one day and his wife said, sit down, I need to tell you something. She said, I... I don't love you, I haven't loved you in a long time, and I want a divorce. She came in and met with me one time. And with anger in her eyes and anger in her voice, she said, for 25 years, I was the butt of his jokes. He had little snide remarks, and he'd, he'd say it around other people, and everybody would laugh, and I would laugh too. She said, but inside, it was hurting me. And she said, I don't care anymore. She said, I don't care what you think. I don't care what people thinks." think and I don't care what God thinks and she walked out of my door and walked out of her marriage oneness can be lost ladies and gentlemen and you and I need to think long and hard about that and about what it takes to make sure that oneness is not lost in my relationship with my spouse or if it has been lost what do I need to do to get it back let me give you a a few ideas first I would say this uh, consecrate Ladies and gentlemen, you need to consecrate your marriage. If you've never done that, or maybe you need to re-consecrate it. I know that's an old word. Consecrate, the definition looks like this. To make or declare something, typically a church, sacred to dedicate formally to a religious or divine purpose. You need to do that with your marriage. You need to consecrate your marriage to God for a divine purpose and say, God, this really isn't even about me. Sure, marriage meets my needs and marriage is wonderful, but it really, it's, God, this is about you and I want my marriage to honor you and be for your purposes and for your glory. You need to consecrate your marriage. If you've never done that, you need to say to your spouse, man, I, I, forgive me for not ever 
if we're never doing that, we, we need to dedicate our marriage for God because obviously that's a good thing. It's for God's glory. But it suddenly also gives you a greater uh, reason or motivation for working on your marriage. It's not just about you being happy anymore. Now it's about God and his reputation and, and, and his honor and, and all those kind of things. Consecrate. Second, here it is, the big C word, communicate. Right? That's the big C word of marriage. Right? Come on. Have any of y'all seen Dr. Phil? You got to communicate, right? You got to communicate. You got to talk. All right, here we go, guys. You got to talk about your feelings. You got to talk about her feelings. You got to talk about, you got to talk about how your day was and how her day was. You got to talk about what, what, what you like and what you don't like. You got to communicate if, if you're not going to lose this oneness. It, it has to happen. Now, listen to me. Obviously, there is a Christ-like way to do that, and there is a flesh-like way to do that. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I have been guilty of, or I, can, I have done one, I've been guilty of the other, right? But there is a way to communicate with your spouse without, without nagging or being snippety or being antagonistic or angry or there, there's a Christ-like way to communicate, but you must communicate. Friday night, <laughs> Friday night, my wife and I were at Lowe's, the, the big hardware place. Yeah, I probably didn't mention that you guys can tell us that. Don't worry, you, you look better than I do in the story. <laughs> so we're at Lowe's, and uh, I had to uh, pick up a big hook. I wanted to hang her bike in the garage, and I needed these little things that go in holes in my desk, and uh, Cindy needed some weed, weed killer. And so we're out in the garden section. Uh, we're looking at uh, um, stuff to line our, our landscaping beds with. What is that? Edging. Yeah, something like that, edging. So we're looking at that stuff. And so while we're, while we're there, while we're strolling through, uh, I happen to see one. And I mentioned, oh, I, I'd like a trellis. I'd like a trellis with a vine in our house. We've got this, like, this recessed area of our, in, our, in, our front, in front of our house. And we're, we've got a cedar tree there right now. And it, it's kind of half dead. And it just doesn't look very good. And I thought a trellis with like a, like a bougainvillea or something on it and growing up. And that would, that would look all cool. Now, I'm sure in Cindy's mind, she said something like this. A trellis. Hmm. That's interesting. Why would you like to put a trellis up? In my mind, I heard a trellis. What do you want a stupid trellis for? Now, I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between. The reality is somewhere in between all of that. But I spiritually responded. Well, why wouldn't you want a trellis? Cindy responds, because ants will climb up the trellis, up the wall and get into your house. Now, I probably should have said something like, that's a very valid point, my lovely wife. I should probably think about that a little bit. But instead, my response was, we already got ants in the house. (laughs) So, and Cindy was walking back into the inside part of the store, just as I said that. So she turns around and says, oh, why do you have to talk to me that way? Because you talk to me that way. Now, listen, not a good example of how to communicate, right? And, and we, five minutes, and, and it was over it and all, all that. But, but right, it's, yeah, man, it's so easy to, to communicate poorly and badly. We have to learn to communicate with our spouse, and we have to do it in a way that honors them, shows them we care for them, and that invests in their lives, and they invest in our lives. We've got to communicate. And then uh, third, third thing I would say, uh, to celebrate. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that happens in life that... You, cause you to not feel like celebrating. But we can and should celebrate the spouse that is ours. 
if, if you're married, if you're here, we should celebrate the reality of this gift that we have that is called marriage. Because listen to me, that, that, spur, that person, that spouse, that husband, that wife who stood beside you or, or faced you and, and said those vows before God and those witnesses, those vows that said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others so long as we both shall live. The spouse that you spoke those words to is still a spouse worth honoring and worth celebrating. To celebrate the reality of the gift of marriage. So listen, I want to say this to you. I'm going to bring up one more idea real quickly. And we're a little bit behind, but just listen to me. So in a moment... We're going to stand and we're going to have a, an altar response time and, and people respond as, as God leads them to do. But I'm just saying to you right now in preparation for that, if you're sitting here, maybe you're sitting here today with your spouse and maybe there's some things that have slipped in your marriage. Maybe there's some areas that, that you've lost touch with or communication or you've grown distant or, or you see the potential for that happening in your life. You, you might just want to just lean over in, in a few moments and, and just say, listen, I'm sorry for, for the things that I've not done that haven't been beneficial to my marriage. I'm sorry for things that I have done that I, that I shouldn't have done. I'm sorry for the way that perhaps I've talked to you at times. You might just want to lean over and talk with them and just, and just pray with them for just a moment and ask God to, to unify and to bless your marriage and to accomplish His purposes for your marriage. Because one other reality, and this, this is not in your outline, but, but this is what it is. The reality is God wants to help. He does. He really does. If they're right there through the end of the chapter, right? God has every right. When, when they disobey God, they begin to experience the, the consequences of their sin. God has every right to come and to say, I told you this would happen if you disobeyed me. Good luck with that. God has every right to do that, but he doesn't do that. Instead, God comes to them. Did you notice that too, by the way? God comes to them. They're hiding. God comes looking for them. Now, I know he's God. He knows where he is. But this, this is all part of God reaching out. And God sacrifices an innocent so that, they can have, so that they can be clothed because they're ashamed of their nakedness. And God, in his mercy and his love, drives them out of the garden so that they will not eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever in a continual state of sinfulness. He drives them out because of his mercy and his love. God wants to help. So maybe, again, if you're here and you're married, or maybe you're here and you're not married and you want to be married, maybe you just want to talk to God about that and, and, and dedicate your life and your marriage to Him and the desire that you want His help, that you want to have the marriage that He desires for you to have because God wants to help. That's reality. Well, as you heard today, marriage can have plenty of challenges. If you are or have been married, then you already knew that to be true. But as we heard today, couples don't have to drift apart, fall apart, or break apart. There are steps that couples can take to protect what they have and restore what they've lost. Marriage is a precious gift worth fighting for. And as Pastor Clay reminded us today, in the midst of all that reality in marriage is the reality that God stands ready to help us if we will commit our marriages to Him. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross-Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.